welcome to another episode of Rewired Podcast. I'm Bailey. And I'm Kelly. And today, this episode is brought to you by a listener email. So thanks, Justin, for your awesome email entitled The Scourge of Marlowe. And we thought the best way to talk about Marlowe and his gang was to really break it down using the trope of the villain. Yep, so that's what we'll talk about today is characteristics of villains and what makes Marlowe the same or maybe a little bit different. So Justin, in his email to us, writes, So when I went to watch the series in full, I waited patiently for Marlowe's gang to rise. They were the most striking group in the series to me. Marlowe's gang seems to move the cycle of violence up a full notch. And I totally agree. They really do take it up a notch. And and we don't really know why. No, we don't. Because the... I guess um, gang protocol before Marlowe's gang was just, you know, street shootouts and, and things like that. And then they start really dumping bodies with lye and using a nail gun. And it it seems like overkill. Yeah, they, they actually even talk about it in their New Day co-op meeting where they talk about how Marlowe is disappearing bodies. And, you know, the, the point of the previous gang warfare I guess was to make the point of like turf wars and that kind of thing so the bodies needed to be on the sidewalks as symbols of turf. Yeah the bodies were to make a point and I can't really think that Marlo would um, go so far out of his way to hide the bodies just to avoid police detection right. or, or what ha- have you because even the street murders that were happening before Marlowe, those weren't getting solved. Like, that was a major yeah. part of the show. It's almost like it's kind of ritualistic for him to hide the bodies, and it's all part of it. Yeah, but not even for him to hide the bodies. Right. For him to, like, delegate these tasks onto his minions. And I think we can use the word minions. Totally. Um, okay, well, before we, I guess, get too deep into Marlowe, let's talk about what a villain is in literature and what purpose they serve. Okay. So what do villains do for a story? Well, stories, to be interesting, to have a plot, to move forward, have to have a conflict. So the villain is the character or circumstance that is providing that conflict. And that's not to say that a villain has to be a human. Um, There are examples where the villain might be nature itself. Um, Like in The Perfect Storm, you could maybe say that, you know, Mm. the storm is the villain or... Mm -hmm. Um, in Peter Benchley's novel Jaws, the shark is definitely mm. the villain. Yeah. Um, and then some of just like the classic villains would be uh, Voldemort from Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to use that one even though I don't like Harry Potter. But <laughs> it's um, a pretty classic villain tale. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Moriarty from the Sherlock Holmes series. There, I mean, every series has a villain. So basically, I mean, you almost can't have a hero without a villain. Like, your hero has to have something Yeah, the hero has to go head-to-head with somebody. But what's kind of interesting about Marlowe, at least, is that he doesn't really go against any of the heroes, at least not directly. Mm -hmm. And yeah, especially... He almost seems like completely, like, non-concerned with what's going on around him or, like being pursued by police. I don't think he even cares. And have we seen a villain like that before? Um, well, I mean, we do see villains that are completely, like, self-interested. 
Hmm. Um, Alex from A Clockwork Orange. Right. Yeah, that's true. Alex and Marlo sort of have a lot of similarities in that they're the, the ringleaders of these ultra-violent gangs. Yeah, and also that they they don't even seem to have a purpose to what they're doing, like the violence that they're inflicting. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's that one scene where Marlo, you know, is giving the security guard at the corner store trouble. Right. Yeah, he, he uh, shoplifts to suckers to lollipops and the security guard goes outside not even to get the the lollipops back but to confront him and say like what you think I love this job you you yeah and then Marlo ends up getting that guy killed yeah like it's it's pretty awful and sad to watch but it doesn't even affect Marlo he's completely unfazed yeah and he doesn't you know it's not even you can't really even make the argument that it's like my name is my name or anything like that the guy doesn't challenge Marlo publicly it's not about an honor or shame situation Marlo just truly kills him for no purpose at all yeah and Marlo even says to him you want it to be one way but it's another Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I think we can probably contrast this with other villains villains kind of in scare quotes in the wire um because there's really nobody else like that in the series. Like, even Omar, who mm-hmm. maybe could be considered a sort of villain and that he's maybe one of the more violent characters, even he says a man must have a code. Right. And Justin, in his email to us, does reference Omar in that, you know, Omar does kill people. We know that he carries a shotgun around. He seems to be perfectly okay with violence and death if it's within the code. Yeah, and, well, the motivations, I think, are important as well. Yeah. Omar's only motivated by money. Yeah. Um, Well, I guess he's motivated a little bit revenge in terms of testifying against Bird. Um, Yeah, he's motivated by money. But Marlo, we don't really see him coveting the money or, you know, doing anything lavish. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't even really see him doing much in terms of recreation. No, I don't think we see him having a house or anything. No. There, there's one time he's with a girl, but that was a trap. And he seems to know that, especially when you watch back, he seems to know that that's a Barksdale trap, that girl that he picks up in the bar and has sex with in the car. Right. The other thing that we, I think we see more with Omar and with a lot of other villains that you didn't see with Alex and Clockwork Orange, for example, or Marlo, is you know, what is their backstory? What's, why are they committing this violence? Yeah, in comic book parlance, it's known as an origin story. And all the famous villains have an origin story. Mm. Um, how they entered into the narrative. And right. we, don't, we don't get that with Marlo whatsoever. We don't know anything about him. Even like Dr. Frankenstein's monster has this origin story where he's been created by... You know, whatever. Yeah, like the Riddler and Poison mm-hmm. Ivy. Like, they have origin stories. So, and I mean, in terms of fandom, the origin story is something that a lot of readers or viewers can appreciate and and kind of, it's a little bit more of a characterization of the villain. So, I mean, we are not able to empathize with 
Marla whatsoever in the same way that we might empathize with a villain that we know a little bit about them. So sort of like in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, how, well, in the end, she comes to be with the the villain, right? Spike. Right. And I, do you think that that's because we know his origin story and it humanizes him to Buffy or? Yeah, to the viewer and to Buffy. And when you, sometimes when you get the origin story, the villain isn't a villain anymore, which is what happened with um, Angel in Buffy. Right is, you know, he started out as a vampire, but then it turns out, oh, this is his, his origin, and he's actually, on account of that, one of the good guys. So do you think David Simon purposely didn't give Marlowe an origin story? That's a good question. Yes, I think it must have been purposeful. It, yeah. it seems like everything about Was The Wire is deliberate. purposeful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think he was really kind of creating this... this I don't know, in a sense, true villain, I guess, with with these truly evil motivations. Yeah, and as with the henchmen, I guess, as well, like, we don't really have our origin stories on Snoop or Chris. Right. Hartlow. And actually, so Justin mentions that in his email as well, where there is sort of a hint for Chris that he has also experienced uh, childhood sexual abuse. Right. In the same way that Michael has, because he does beat Chris's well Bugs daddy to death yes he in does. the street and That's even true. even Snoop is sort of surprised by this extreme violence by Parlo right that scene I think brings up an important point which is that when um Chris engages in that kind of overkill on that man we could see that as a motivated violence so there's even though it's just very like implied we understand what's happening there with Marlo, we don't get those motivations, and hmm. I think what that can kind of make us think of is this immoral versus amoral um, split in in The Wire and in other villains. So hmm. immoral is, for anyone not clear on the distinction, is uh, knowing right from wrong but choosing to do wrong. And then amoral is just not recognizing that those distinctions exist between right and wrong. Oh, okay. So that again brings us back to Omar, who has a very clear line in what's wrong and what's right. And he does even things that we would consider wrong because in his mind, he knows the right from wrong and like he has determined them as right within his code. Yeah, he follows his own kind of twisted sense of morality, which most people would call immoral. Um, It's like that scene in the courtroom, right, where... Levy is saying, this is what you do for a living. You rob drug dealers. That's how you make your living. Yeah, that's a great scene. Let's actually listen to that scene. Okay. Mr. Little, can I ask why you came forward in this case? I told the police what I know. Were you offered anything in exchange? Like what? Were you arrested? Were you going to be charged with a crime? And by testifying, did the police agree to drop those charges? No, man, ain't even about that. How many times have you been arrested as an adult, Mr. Little? Sure, I don't lost count. Not doing that to take it personal. Possession of a handgun, possessing a concealed weapon, assault by pointing, robbery, deadly weapon, possession of a handgun again, followed by violation of parole on weapon charges, 
followed by one count of attempted murder and use of a handgun in commission of a felony. That wasn't no attempt murder. What was it, Mr. Little? I shot the boy Mike, Mike and his hind parts, that all. <laughs> Fixed it so he couldn't sit right. <laughs> Why'd you shoot Mike, Mike and his, um, his hind parts, Mr. Little? Let's say we had a disagreement. A disagreement over? Well, you see, Mike, Mike thought he should keep that cocaine he was slinging and the money he was making from slinging it. I thought otherwise. So you rob drug dealers? This is what you do? Yes, sir. You walk the streets of Baltimore with a gun, taking what you want, when you want it, willing to use violence when your demands aren't met. This is who you are. Why should we believe your testimony, then? Why believe anything you say? That's up to y'all, really. You say you aren't here testifying against the defendant because of any deal you made with police. True that. That you're here because you, you, you want to tell the truth about what happened to Mr. Gant in that housing project parking lot. Yep. When, in fact, you are exactly the kind of person who would, if you felt you needed to, shoot a man down on a housing project parking lot and then lie to the police about it, would you not? Hey, look, I ain't never put my gun on no citizen. You are a moral, are you not? You are feeding off the violence and the despair of the drug trade. You're stealing from those who themselves are stealing the lifeblood from our city. You are a parasite who leeches off Just like you, the culture man. of drugs. Excuse me? What? I got the shotgun. We got the briefcase. It's on the game, though, right? And with the such so, a great scene. Yeah, it's a great scene. And basically, what Omar is drawing attention to is that they're kind of both engaging in the same kind of immorality, mm. um, but they recognize that there's like a right and wrong. Right. Marlo, on the other hand, isn't really acknowledging those distinctions or like any kind of social code of this is good this is bad like I think there's another scene where somebody goes up to Marlo and says like oh well if you like cut what you pay me then I gotta short my guys and then he says well short yourself then and like I don't know that's mm -hmm. like another moment of kind of him completely disavowing the fact that there are moral guidelines that we have to adhere to as people in society even mm -hmm. if we're at odds with like the law yeah I think it would have been interesting if the show had carried on near the end there because basically Marlo pressures prop Joe into giving him his connect with of course who we know to be the Greeks but we don't really get to see that relationship evolve because that's basically like the end season of, five yeah the season four or five so um, so we don't actually know where that goes, but I think it would have been really interesting to see Marlo doing business with the Greeks because I would call the Greeks uh, quite immoral in the sense of the way that they do business. Like they, there is obviously a code and a behavior structure in which they operate where m the amorality of Marlo I think would have been problematic. Yeah, and also I think it would have been interesting to see how... Marlo handles somebody being above him because if the mm -hmm. Greeks are the connect I mean he can't exactly you know go over their head and find whatever the shipping connection is in Greece or yeah, whatever. Yeah exactly. Um, 
And so that's the other thing is like Marlo really does not recognize any authority figures. That's right. why he can't work with the co-op. That's why, mm-hmm. you know, the turf war ends up happening the way it does. And even when he is able to get Prop Joe's connect, it's like, I don't know. Like Prop Joe should have been above him kind of in, in the hierarchy yeah. of the drugs, but he just, he skips over him. So let's bring Stringer Bell into this equation because I think... I mean, in terms of villains, Stringer is another pretty good contender. Certainly we see him juxtaposed with McNulty, who we often think of as the main character, and they're sort of, some, sort of in a way, a hero. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is Stringer a villain, and is he comparable to Marlowe? I think Stringer at times is a villain, but I think the further the series progresses... Um, and the more that we know about Stringer, the the less villainous he seems, especially as we are able to empathize more with him. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that strikes me is that Stringer, his motivation, unlike Omar, um, he's not that motivated by money. I think he's more motivated by like power and prestige, and mm-hmm. he wants to rise in the ranks of Baltimore and be kind of viewed as a legitimate and respectable businessman. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Marlowe, in his way, is also motivated by power, mm-hmm. not to not for anyone else to behold him as like respectable, but for right. everyone else to almost fear him. He's not looking for the prestige and accolades that Stringer seems to be looking for with that power. He's happy to have his power within himself. Yeah, and to just have like everyone else cower around him. I think, mm-hmm. but um. Yeah, I think that they're they're pretty different, and Stringer Bell has that more empathy of the audience, especially right. when you know things don't go Stringer Bell's way. It's hard to feel sad, like to feel happy when he dies. Like we like him by that point. Yeah, it's true. You're right. We do like him, and I think a lot of it has to do with that origin story that we get for Stringer. And I think the other thing is, when we talked about this in our shapeshifter trickster fool episode, Stringer does kind of move like, you know, he should be villainous in the sense that he is a true Judas or um, Brute. Like, he turns on Avon. Yeah, traitor. Yeah, so he should be, he should be a villain. Yeah, we should regard that as low. Yeah, but for for because of his origin story and because I think we see him working to do something different or better or whatever, mm-hmm. we, we don't hold that against him. Yeah. Well, okay, another sort of final villain that we might want to think about is Scott Templeton. Ah. I don't know Templeton. if he's really a villain. There's not so much malice in what he's doing, but he's certainly dislikable. Yeah. And he's definitely self-interested in the same way that Marlowe is. And we don't really get much of his origin story, although we do kind of see him as, like, this bumbling fool who wants to rise and can't. Yeah, I I don't know if I would call him bumbling. I feel like he's very... He strikes me as someone who would be very vindictive. You're right. You know what? He's not bumbling. I definitely misspoke. He is Iago from Othello. Oh, okay. I think. What's Iago's story? Iago's story is he's like the sidekick to Othello and ostensibly is like helping Othello make his life the best life possible. But on the side, Iago is like double dealing and sets 
Othello up in the way that Desdemona, like, cheated on him, but it's not actually true. And this leads to Othello killing his friend. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. That was pretty shaky summary of Othello, but I just mean (laughs) in in the way that Iago was kind of this put-upon um, second best. And I think that's kind of the same way that we're meant to see Scott Templeton. Mm. You know, he always gets asked to go pick up the React quotes. Right. Um, and finally, you know, sick of it, he starts crafting his own stories. Could you say that Templeton has uh, delusions of grandeur for himself? Like, he he thinks he's too good. Like, is that the meaning of delusions of grandeur? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I do think he has delusions of grandeur. Yeah, like he, he just, he doesn't seem to be willing to work his way up. Which I, I guess is kind of another similarity of Marlo. Like, Marlo doesn't seem to want to put in the time. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think it's because he thinks he's too good to put in the time. I think it's that he doesn't respect any structures that he encounters. Mm. So he just wants to... Like, at least Scott Templeton is like, I want to be at the top of this editorial pyramid. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like Marlo is like, there is no pyramid, I'm going to kill everybody. Right. <laughs> so Justin's email, he finished off with something uh, a little bit interesting and unrelated to villainy. But he says, one thing which has nothing to do with anything, but always struck me as odd. Chris Hartlow and Michael go by their real names. No one else in the game that I could think of does. Um, which is true, definitely, at street level, at mm-hmm. least. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have people like Avon Barksdale going by their real name. But, and Omar. And Omar. But um, on kind of the corner level, mm-hmm. everyone is using an alias of some kind. Like, Michael definitely should have had some kind of street name. Street being name. A corner yeah, boy. like Snoop yeah. does. Or, like, Poot. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's interesting, and the reason that we wanted to end off there this week is that next week for our final episode of, mm-hmm, of season, season one, one is uh, we're going to talk about some unsolved mysteries of The Wire and some loose ends. Yeah. So if you have noticed anything a little bit uh, odd, like uh, Justin brought up, anything that you want to talk about that's kind of doesn't really fit into its own episode, we're just going to talk about some of these Uh, unsolved mysteries bring us your reddit conspiracy theories yeah fan theories conspiracy theories and oh my god if you write fan fiction about the wire please tell us yeah tell us your fan (laughs) fiction uh okay so you can tweet us at rewired podcast or you can email us podcast.rewired at gmail.com and we want to hear from you yeah so that's we'll see you next week way down in the hole we're gonna go right down in the rabbit hole next week see you next week this podcast was written produced and edited by bailey reading kelly reed we do that using the opinion app thanks opinion and you can find our theme music on soundcloud it's the remix of tom waits way down in the hole by flo florick